Hi, everybody. I am Craig Morgan. I'd like to welcome all of our viewers and listeners into the first edition of PHNX Sports' newest series, The Focus. It's a simple concept that harkens back to a more traditional form of journalism, the in-depth one-on-one interview. Joining me on this show will be executives, managers, coaches, players, and even journalists who have made a significant impact on the Valley and Arizona sports scene. With me today on the first edition of The Focus is a guy who absolutely did that, former Arizona State and Cardinals quarterback Jake Plummer. Jake, it is great to see you. Thank you for joining the show. Hey, thanks for reaching out and uh, inviting me to come on the show, Craig. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Jake, it's been 17 years since you said goodbye to the NFL. What the hell have you been up to? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, a lot. Mainly just uh, decompressing post-career from all of the demands on the body, on your, on your brain, and the lifting, and the schedules. Uh, I didn't really prepare for retirement because I was so fully in when I was playing. Mm. And, you know, my ninth season with Denver, we made it to the AFC Championship game. I had plans to retire right then on the, on the stand, holding the MVP, <laughs> Super Bowl trophy. We had a Super Bowl team, and then we didn't make it. So I came back for that 10th season. Uh, it was going well. I ended up getting benched. And it was like a curtain call for me, like, hey, all right, good. It's time to go. I, I didn't really plan to play a long time. Mm -hmm. My body was starting to feel the effects of the game and mentally and even spiritually feeling a little bit uh, just squashed by the, the demands on perfection and never being good enough. And so when I retired, it was time to get out, get away, leave, you know, kind of leave humanity to some degree. And mm. Went and lived up in Sandpoint, Idaho on 48 acres and just had a good five years to decompress and then kind of then came back to Colorado because I, I married a Colorado girl and I loved living there. Um, since then, I've been doing a lot of interesting things. We'll get to that. Yeah, <laughs> but just, you know, there's a roller coaster you ride post-career and yeah. a lot of guys go through it and it, it's, it's hard to replace what we mm -hmm. were doing for such a large part of our lives. Uh, and they don't really teach you or coach you how to prepare for that post-career when the football cleats are hung up and when you're not going out and performing and doing that. So there's a lot of adjustments you have to go through. Your body, your mind, and your spirit have to go through quite a bit of change. How did you get through that period of basically walking in the wilderness, trying to find your way? Oh, uh, man. It was spent a lot of time with my family, with friends, uh, traveling around the world with my wife. Uh, playing handball, finding other ways to compete and be around guys, having a good time. I disappeared pretty much from the football scene. I wasn't watching much football for a while. Uh, to make matters worse, I recorded the Super Bowl where the Giants and Eli came back on the last-minute drive and scored and won, and my uh, DVR unit didn't capture the extra 30 minutes. So I'm like, <laughs> it made me even more mad. I'm not ever watching this game. I was pissed off. But then Marcus Mariota came around with Oregon and I started kind of paying attention to that style of play that was coming back, that was creeping into the game again. And, uh, you know, my interests were peaked a little bit. I got into doing a little bit of coaching. Um, but yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot that, that goes on. You got to have solid people around you. And what was tough was I had a great family and a lot of good friends they weren't living right there next to me, and it was hard to hard for me to make a lot of friends. Uh, it was like, I don't know why, but it was, I would wonder what their motives were, or people would treat me differently, and then 
find out who I was and treat me completely differently after a, or a brand new way once they found out that I had played football. Yeah. And so it was a, it was an adjustment period, a lot a lot of um you know, reflection, a lot of uh you know, self-work, uh a lot in the last, you know, four or five years, even more than I ever have of just finding out who I who I was pre becoming a sun devil and getting put put onto this pedestal and launched yeah. into this next level of, of recognition and being an athlete. And so it's been a very good adjustment for me back to where I'm sitting right now. And it's been a wild trip. <laughs> do you, do you still track football? Do you still, are you still dialed into it or have you pulled back? You know, you, once you, you play as much as I have and you're involved to the level I was at, you know, what's going on. I can understand when a team's struggling or what's happening just by watching a little bit or coming around and just being around a little bit. I don't have the time for the the game much mm. anymore. I, I I was watching games for a while, doing some radio for the for here here in the valley and and in Denver, and I had to watch three games a weekend. I had to watch the Broncos, the Cardinals, and the Sun Devils, and it was hard to find the time to do that. I would fast forward through them at night and zip through it just to get a a feeling for what the game was about. I just don't know where people are coming up with the time to watch as much football as they watch. It's definitely a trap. I can jump right back in it when I, <laughs> if I want. As the playoffs are nearing, I'm like, oh, I might be watching. I might turn on the games this week just because you get to see where that real emo raw emotion of like guys fighting hard to make it. This is, you know, I had one opportunity, one AFC championship game, and that was it in 10 years. So you don't know how many chances you'll get. And to watch these guys go out and fight for that position, that chance to get into the playoffs, you see – you see guys just at their, their, in their truth, in their real rawness, trying to go out there and win the game. I want to dive into your Sun Devil and Cardinal past in a moment here, but I want to get a feel for what's eating up your time right now. I know you've got a business venture going that you truly believe in. You are all in on this. Can you enlighten us a little bit? Yeah, I've had some great opportunities post-career. Uh, you know, For a while there, I wasn't doing a whole lot. Got involved with a, a sports uh, technology playbook that's yeah. still still happening. Uh, Ready List Sports, we're, we're merging with another company, so that's kind of still in the works. But most of my time is focused on really on Umbo, uh, which is a functional mushroom company geared for you know performance and recovery for athletes. And that doesn't mean just professional athletes. That just means people that are active that are wanting to find that edge. In performance, whether that's having more energy or pushing your wind wall a little further out, uh, you know, sports, whether you're in the NFL or NBA or whatever, when you want to win or lose, when you want to win, you usually you win by a millisecond or a millimeter. And so if there's something out there that you're not using that's natural and has been around for a long, long time, a lot longer than us. Uh, and can help benefit you in, in not only your performance, but also a very key factor for most athletes that's forgotten is the recovery yeah. part where you're putting what you lost back into your body or you're getting a really nice restful sleep that night. Uh, we've we've been able to kind of get um, reintroduced to this beautiful, they call it a kingdom, but I call it a queendom mm -hmm. of fungi. And over in, in China and, and Eastern medicine, it's been used for centuries to help you know, a, a wide array of disease and ailments. And we're just getting introduced to that here in uh, the Western culture and Western medicine that is more or less set up to uh, fail us, really. <laughs> um, it's, it is. It really yeah. set up to fail 
our our human bodies and our human capacity to to be healthy. Uh, there are ways to do that, and so I've been lucky enough to to get involved with. First, it was Charlotte's Web, which was hemp, which was classified and lumped together with marijuana. So right. it was very confusing for people when I first started doing this with a lot of other athletes. And all we were trying to do was bring some awareness to these mothers that were fighting for their children's um, right to take this medicine that was helping them. They were having severe, severe seizure disorders, mm. uh, yet they were could have been put in prison because of this. And they're being told you can't give your child a plant that grows in the ditches at Nebraska. And so that was a real powerful thing to be involved with and to be able to educate and advocate for something that could bring so much health and help so many people. This is now just another step into the next level, which is the fungi, which is two and a half to 3 million, you know, fungi out there. And we've only discovered a tiny, tiny bit of that 150, maybe 175,000 that we've identified that, that we know the names of or what they are. And then of those, what they, what some of them can actually do for our health and wellness. And I know some of the same misconceptions exist for, for this, right? You probably deal with that stigma as well. Yeah. Because psilocybin, which is one strain of mushrooms and, and it comes in a lot of different varieties. It is a hallucinogenic and it's been, it was used in the sixties, in the 70s, uh, and they were doing studies with it even prior to that, that that were put away and and shelved because it was helping people in a lot of different ways. You know, the 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 uh, the natural way, of, you know, hallucinations or whatever it is, the psilocybin to go in and and restructure the brain, whether it's restructuring it or just opening yourself back up to the feeling that we're all one, we're all here together, that we're all. We all came from the same place. We're all going back to that same place. And there's a lot of work being done currently by some really amazing humans that are working with our veterans and first responders. And now some athletes that deal with PTSD, deal with depression, anxiety, and they're having some really profound results using psilocybin. Um, But there's a whole entire like (laughs) plethora of hallucinogens provided by nature even in our own bodies, you can do breath work and release DMT and have a full-on psychedelic journey. Mm. That's with what's com- contained inside our bodies. So there's lots of different ways to approach this. This uh, what's happening. This this psychedelic renaissance in a way. You know, they did it for liberation back in the '60s or '70s to, to kind of get out from it under the hand of the the government and the Vietnam war and all these things being told what to do. And now it's more for, Hey, we, we have a mental health problem here in America and there's a lot of people that are suffering mightily and they shouldn't, they shouldn't be. And there's really nobody out there helping them. And so this is, that's one aspect that's going on that gets confusing for, for me when I'm trying to give somebody some umbo bars or our product, they think that I'm trying to hand them psychedelics. But like I said, it's it's yeah. it, people that are curious out there, go look it up. There's so much information out there on cordyceps, lion's mane, reishi, turkey tail. Those are the four basic ones we work with. And then you throw shiitake, oyster, tremella, poria, uh, you know, even amanita is being used for a lot of different things that, that we thought, oh, poisonous mushroom, bad for you. But in small amounts, it's showing to have some effects uh, that are positive. So it's all education and yeah. it's, a, it's a whole lot of fun to be able to help somebody and get an email back from them saying, oh my God, thank you so much. I am now walking. I'm going to the gym again. I have so much more energy. 
thank you for, you know, being somebody to bring this to light. It's a, it's just another opportunity that I never knew I would have, but I'm grateful for. Jake, I think when, when, when players retire, we assume these traditional paths that they're going to take afterward, they might go into management or they might go into media or they might go into business because they have leadership skills. What took you down this non-traditional path? Uh, you know, I, I did some of that. I went back into coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and worked for the Pac-12 Network. I did some radio. I did some games. Uh, but in the in the end, when I was looking at what I was doing, I wasn't really saying anything as a studio analyst for the Pac-12 that was changing anybody's lives. Mm-hmm. I was just reiterating what we saw that day or saying Stanford needs to run the ball today and tackle better on defense. And it just, it got repetitive really fast for me. And then I had some really good teammates, some guys that I really cared about and loved, and they loved me back, Uh, specifically Nate Jackson with the Denver Broncos, who he ran across a guy, uh, you know, Ryan Kingsbury working for Charlotte's Web. And that was my first chance to experience a plant that had profound uh, positive effects on our human body, mainly for inflammation and the headaches that I was having every day, just from my body getting beat up. Uh, I felt relief and I felt good. I was sleeping better and had less anxiety all because of this classified schedule one, same as marijuana. And I've been, I'd known marijuana and its effects for a long, long time. I'd used it a little bit towards the tail end of my career and post-career. But hemp was a whole new thing that not many people knew about. So just having a good buddy like Nate say, Hey, check this out. Mm. And then all of a sudden we were helping advocate and bring light to these mothers, these mothers, uh, struggles to be allowed to give their children a plant that was helping them. Um, you know, like Heather Jackson and Paige Fiji and these, these ladies that really, they fought the system and no one listened until we came lumbering in us poor, ex-athletes in the NFL that were <laughs> complaining about our headaches and bad knees. And then everybody started listening. And then they're like, oh, wait, whoa, these children, they're catatonic. They're, they're in a state of seizing. They have maybe two hours where they're awake. And in that two hours, they're not even there. And then you give them this medicine and you can watch them transform into a functioning child. Like, mm. I don't know anybody out there that would be against that. And yeah, so it's been profound. decriminalized. Hip is now off schedule one. We have a major league baseball signed a deal with Charlotte's web. So it's big. It just takes time. Uh, people are scared. Uh, there's a lot of propaganda out there. Uh, recently a, a, an airline pilot said he was going to wanted to take down a plane and he said he was on psilocybin. And so everyone freaks out yet. We didn't, we don't care about the newspaper stating all the deaths caused by a DUI that night hmm. and every night yeah. and tonight and yeah. tomorrow night, the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of deaths caused by drinking yet. We all just pop our beer and slam our drinks and drink right in front of it. And there's no problems there. Oh, that's, but that's not talk about that. You know, that's, that's a, that's mm-hmm. a money-making industry. And so this is nature at its finest. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be one of many that are, that are bringing this to light, channeling this knowledge to help spread it to people that are looking for a better way to, to live a healthier life and kind of initiate a path to wellness. If you haven't read it, I urge everyone to read Chris Camarani's excellent piece in The Athletic yeah. on, on your Colorado-based business and, and your ever-evolving life philosophy. Um, one, I'm sorry to get so granular on you on this one, but in that piece I read, you created an enclosure so that the employees could bring their dogs to work, which <laughs> just hit me right here because I'm a dog person anyway. Yeah. Uh, almost the, the perfect soul on earth, but 
it's it's a vibe, right? It's it, it that it's it's about quality of life. It, I, I'm curious what that setting is and what you tried to create at that business. Yeah, well, we got the opportunity through a, a, a friend, Dale Jolly, who I met at Charlotte's Web. Who he and I started Umbo together with Rashad Evans, former UFC world champ, Hall of Famer. Uh, we didn't do this because we're like, oh, hey, let's get into the mushroom boom. We can make a bunch of money. Yeah. We did it because this stuff helps helps us function. It helped help me and get rid of inflammation. It helped me in a lot of different areas of my body that I was I was holding inflammation and pain that I don't have anymore. Mm. And it's really it, it helps, like I said, initiate a path to a positive change and to and to wellness. And so, Dale's uncle's uh, brother bought this farm and had a mushroom farm functioning on it and so i went out there and started growing mushrooms because it sounded like a lot of fun and me and a buddy leo went out there and then we got introduced through a couple other friends some some close friends to a couple guys uh one in particular shane schoolman that's uh he's a wizard he's he's not trained in any any one like a chemist or a biologist or anything he's just open-minded and brilliant and able to uh help us perfect the process of growing the mushrooms and we grow them at Michael Love Farm with a lot of love, a lot of intention to help people heal and to feel better. And then we're extracting them in a lab in Longmont and trying to create what, you know, as close as we can get to 100% efficiency where we take the fruiting body and we're trying to put, extract that down into a, a palatable, palatable uh, tincture or extract we put with glycerin that people can take in a, as a daily, a daily addition to their stack or whatever you want to call it. I mean, we've eliminated mushrooms from our diet in the Western culture, yeah. minus, you know, some cremini mushrooms on your pizza or some <laughs> slimy things at Carl's Jr.'s. Uh, but more and more you go out, you'll see yeah. they're getting reintroduced into our diets and they're really, really good. And we can go even deeper into what's happening with the amount of meat that we eat, the amount of cows that are overpopulating the the whole world and causing a lot of damage to mother earth uh plant-based is a good thought it's hard to do it i've tried it mm -hmm. uh but i'm 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 mostly plant-based because i feel better when i eat that way i love eating mushrooms and i believe that it's worth doing the little bit you can for for mother earth if it means to stop eating meat then and maybe i can make a difference and that's what i'm gonna do so there's just a lot of great things coming from this whole industry and uh, or category, I should say. And, and having the farm has been a lot of fun. Uh, it's it's functioning. I got good guys working out there. Uh, what you was exciting dogs. was sorry well, to come back to that, but you got dogs. Yeah, and, and they the bring their dogs. Good. Well, you can't really have <laughs> dogs in. I mean, contamination is the worst thing for a mushroom sure. farmer. Contamination kills it. So having dogs, we had to have a place for those dogs. They couldn't just be running around in the building. <laughs> Uh, but but the exciting thing was taking the mushrooms that I helped grow from from the beginning, from you know taking the substrate, sterilizing that, inoculating that, uh, putting it into the incubation room so it myceliates, fruiting the bags, and harvesting it. And I don't do the extractions, but we've been putting we put the Michael Love uh, juice into the Umbo bottles in our charge and our recharge tinctures, which is a combination of three different mushrooms, and so. That was really exciting to be able to to take from start to finish now, put it in a bottle and be involved in that is really exciting and fun. You've talked about how it's, you know, and if you take pain away from your body, you're going to be in a better state of mind anyway. Yeah. But does this just put you in a happier place? Does it put it put you in a better state of mind? 
Yeah, I, I don't get out to the farm as much as I, I would like to these days, being busy and doing other things. But whenever I go out there, it's always so fulfilling and satisfying, mm. especially if the lion's mane is growing like usually like it is. Go in there and you take a big chunk of that home and cut it up and make lion's mane nuggets for the kids or cut it into big slabs and just cook it with little oil and butter, a little seasoning. And it's like, you're eating something, I'm eating something I've never had before. And it's so good for you. And it's so, so yummy. And, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think the most, the most rewarding part of this and the most, uh, the best part about it is, is this ability to bring this to somebody's attention where they maybe thought, Oh no, no, not going to go there. I don't want to trip out. Oh wait, Jake's talking about this. Well, he was talking about hemp. A long time ago, too. Now look where that's gone. Maybe I should check this out. And so it just takes word of mouth or, or podcasts like this or people that are curious, people that want to try and take, like I said, take their health into their own hands. Um, it's really a gift. And I think it's what I did all this for, you know, yeah. all this child's game, throwing a football around and slapping each other on the butts and kick your ass and like <laughs> drink beers afterwards and go run around like, you know, wild men. And now I'm able to really find my path and that's to, to usher in something that has, it, that's here for us. And along with a lot of other amazing human beings, um, going out in the woods, looking for mushrooms is, is healing for me. Uh, you know, I went through a state of being depressed for a while. And when I get into those little ruts, I just go right out to the woods and mm. go, go out into nature. And, you know, nature is probably the best cure for depression. And when you go out and you're finding mushrooms, whether they're edible or not, it just, I don't know. You just feel good. You feel like you're part of it. All right. As long as you pointed to these, I'd be remiss in not reliving a little bit of your Arizona you past. Man, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody remembers the 96 season, of yeah. course, and how you came within 19 seconds of probably winning a national championship. But your ASU career didn't start that way with Bruce Snyder. Mm -hmm. um, and this may, be a, this may be a good lesson for ASU right now with Kenny Dillingham coming off. I believe it was a three and nine season. Um, I think it was your sophomore season. You went three and eight with Bruce. Mm -hmm. um, just wondering what you, first of all, retrace for me your steps of getting to ASU. And then we'll talk about those early years building toward that unreal season. Yeah. You know, my first phone call, I think, I think maybe it was June 3rd or 4th before my senior year uh, was ASU Yeah, and uh, offered full scholarship. They wanted me. And I had connections from Danny Cazetto coaching at U of I, okay. Bobby Petrino being U of I in Montana. And so they were, they'd, they'd scouted me out and saw me and they like, they liked my style and wanted to have me be a Sun Devil. So they were the first school that called. I went through the process with some other schools, made a trip to Washington State. And then it really came down to Bruce Snyder saying just one thing. And that was, you are the quarterback that we think can help complete what I'm building at the, at ASU. And that's a national championship team. Mm. Only coach that and all of the coaches, all of the letters, all of the recruiting, the only coach that said that. And that's all I really wanted to go to college for. I mean, an education was a, a definite, but bonus, uh, and, and definitely why I was going to, I was going to go to school and didn't think much about the NFL. I wanted, but I wanted to win a national championship and ASU. I'd never heard much about them except Jay Bradley in the fourth grade was sent home for wearing a Sun Devils t-shirt because our teacher said, you can't wear something with the devil on it. And so that's all I knew was the Sun Devils for. That was it. 
And I wanted to come somewhere and, and make a mark, make an impact and not just be another number at Florida State or another number at USC or another guy that came through with all these blue chip five star athletes and you know, won a national championship. I wanted to do something, build something and leave a leave an impression on, on, a, on a on a program. And, you know, with him saying that me getting here that first year, uh, getting thrown into the into the works and, and right into the game was was right. a lot of fun. I didn't know much at all. I realized having Bobby Petrino as my coach was a benefit because he was, he drilled us on coverages and, and progressions and the, and the offense. He taught us really hard, but also really well. I mean, look at his track record, right? He's been a head coach all over the place. So then that three and eight season that you mentioned, um, yeah. Was it hard to keep the faith then? Believe you know, it was message? really tough. Yeah. It was tough. Uh, after, after you know, after that year, we had I think seven or maybe eight guys get drafted, mm. and we had talent. I mean, seven to eight guys got drafted, and we're three and eight. And so I actually wanted to quit. I was like, "This ain't worth my time. I'm wasting my time if we're mm. having three and eight seasons and guys are not lifting all year, and then the season's over and now they're they're lifting, get ready to go to the league. It's like this is crap. I'm not going to be putting. I'm not going to do this. But my mom <laughs> just said, "Keep leading, keep being you, keep." fighting and 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 leading those guys and sure enough things will happen and gotta listen to your mom they always know what's best and we had a six and five year that next year uh, again a tough loss at home to u of a when when a lot when a lot of people thought we had the game wrapped up but i know like no 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 you can never never think it's over because i've been on the other side of those when i you know come from behind and so that was tough but then it really Kicked us into that off season, and uh, we made some good additions. Yeah, and yeah. Was, let, let, let's talk about the '96 season. Yeah, and it 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 got off with a bang. Two time defending national champion Nebraska coming in with a 26 game winning streak. Take us inside pregame and on the field for that game. What are the moments that still live in your memory of that game? Well, you know that game was important, although we did barely beat Washington in that first game. Yeah. I mean, last second field goal, which you know. The season doesn't happen without that. Um, but, yeah, that was an interesting time because we went to Lincoln the year before and they just beat the tar out of us. But but offensively, we put up 28 points. So I wasn't too scared of those guys. I knew that offensively we had some talent. We just defensively and special teams, we were horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, not horrible. We just were we, – we weren't where we needed to be. But adding Derek Rogers to the mix on defense, really just that – just him and his pace of – the way he practiced, the way he acted before the first game of the year against Washington, we're doing conditioning the last bit that we'll have to run that week. And everybody starts taking their pads off and we look over and Derek's got his helmet and pads on. And they're like, Derek, take your stuff off. And he said, coach, is it all right if I run in this? It's what I'm playing in. <laughs> and we're all about halfway taking our stuff off going, God damn it, Derek. <laughs> so we put our stuff back on. And, you know, that was the kind of tone he set, you know, in practice, he would run all the way downfield chasing guys. And so the defense just ramped up. And now our defense was just as good as our offense. And that Nebraska game, you know, we were I think we were the only like, what what, what are we? Ninety two kids on that team. Maybe 54 of us actually believed we could win that game, even of the players. Mm. (laughs) And I'm just being honest. Yeah. Our coaches, I don't think, thought we could win the game. I know not many of our fans Gave us much of a chance. Driving to the game, you know, we had a team meeting that night that got pretty heated. We asked the coaches to leave, and we basically said, hey, this is just us. There ain't anybody else in this whole valley. We're the only ones that believe we can beat these guys. 
and it got hot in there that night. And on the way to the game, the sea of red going over the crossing the river, and it was just like, what the hell's going on here? And then it was Frank Cush dedicating the stadium to Frank Cush, this legend of the past. And like everyone's talking about everything else but us. And yeah. there was an interesting locker room moment where I took the the program and I've told Frank, I told Frank this story before he passed and he loved it. And I took, I took this program that said Frank Cush stadium and I, I tore it up and I was like, I was like, fuck this. <laughs> They're talking about some guy that's old. They're dedicating the stadium. No one's talking about what we're going to do tonight. Tonight, they're going to remember tonight for one thing. Not this, not Frank Cush. They're going to remember it for us. In front of the whole team, I did this. And it, it left. It, we went out there motivated, man. We went out there and it was like a special night. Uh, all together as a team, we played all three phases exceptionally well and we shut out a very good Nebraska team. So yeah, things changed really quick after that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I want to talk about that. Cause you mentioned the Washington game. It's not like you were all, all these victories were secured, uh, you know, early in no. the fourth quarter. You had some, yeah, you had some harrowing, triple, harrowing. Yeah, yeah. Triple OT against USC here yeah. day game. That one was wild. Uh, that actually changed the rule in Vegas, uh, that or Vegas because of Vegas, it changed the rule that you can't return an extra point for two points. So, yeah, because we got that fumble and ran some, yeah, some yeah, weird yeah. rule like that. I learned that. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a wild game. And then we went to UCLA, came back, came from behind against those guys. Um, and that was a really good moment for, for me on the offensive bus. I had the bus driver stop and I made everybody look back and say, hey, look at that. We're coming back here. Put that in your brain right now. It won't happen until we take our one at a time approach that Bruce was so eloquently spoke about, such as Zen. Such a Zen thing put in football terms, you know, one at a time. Yeah. He, he was really a very, very good, a very ph philosophical coach uh, when I look back at what he taught us one at a time. So, but, but that was, hey, we're coming back here, you know, make sure we know this. And, uh, yeah, we just had a magical team. We had a lot of guys that loved each other and cared. We'd been through a lot together already. We spent a lot of time that summer prior to that season working our asses off, but having a lot of fun too. Yeah. And barbecues and pool parties, but not till we had the, gotten the work done. That was that was me and a couple other guys. I was kind of a hard ass. I was like, "No, we're working. Come on, we can't just go have a barbecue every day." <laughs> mm. One of my former colleagues, the late great Bob Moran, yeah, had a handful of catchphrases that his co coworkers love to repeat. One of my favorites is, "Somebody's got to be a hero." <sighs> He'd love to use it for you. And damn, Jake, that that late TD run against Ohio State looked like it might be a run for immortality. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was you saw, you know, me just scrapping to yep. do whatever I could. I I I I could feel it. I could taste it. It was right there. Mm -hmm. And what a game, what a great game. It I mean, it was a great game. It's I got teammates still that have never watched it and a lot of people in the valley that can't stand Nebraska and, or Ohio State and all this and that, but it's like those two teams, we were man, we both wanted it really bad and and what a great Great matchup. What a great hard-fought game. Yeah, that run was just uh, – I think back and I watch it sometimes and just laugh like I don't know what was going on. I just like – I was getting in that end zone. That was man. classic Jake the Snake, though, right? I was right? trying just to get into that end improvising. zone. Improvising. Yeah, man. I was dodging my own guys. I was trying to get there. And, you know, we just left a little too much time on the, on the clock. Uh, you know, we needed just a few seconds to get a timeout called and we might have been able to hit a, a long field goal to give us a chance still, but – 
Um, yeah, I mean, to get to get that close, to mm. look back to being an 18-year-old in Boise, Idaho, and Bruce Snyder in my living room at my mom's house saying, we want you because you're the quarterback that could help us get to a national title. And then here we are, like, we really were playing in a national title game. Uh, win or lose that, it still goes to show what you can do when you believe mm. and when you have uh, people that believe in you and give you the confidence and help you grow as a man. And you got not just coaches, but players and, and, and administration in the building. You mentioned Doug Tamaro. I mean, Doug's first year was my first year at ASU. You I know? didn't know and that. So huh. We grew up, I mean, we had my first few years there. And so, like, you know, a guy who was always there for me, you know, a lot of the, a lot, of, there's a few still familiar faces in that building that, that really were there to help us as, as athletes, student athletes, you know, pursue, you know, what we were going after. And, uh, yeah, what a special season, win or lose. You know, I feel bad for the 87 Rose Bowl champs because they won the Rose Bowl and no one really still – talk about them That's a little true. bit, but they don't talk about them as much as our team, and we didn't even win the Rose Bowl. So mm. uh, that that team had a lot of characters and, and you know, uh, a lot of great players. We put a lot of guys in the league off that team, and uh, we had a great time doing it. Speaking of Tamaro, I talked to him a lot before this interview. Um, <laughs> he, he said that not only did you end, end Nebraska's dynasty – you ended the Cowboys dynasty and you damn near ended <laughs> Tom Brady dynasty as well with that win for the Broncos. So yeah. At least handed them a long drought. Um, was your, how, how was your Cardinals experience different? You, you were there for, what, six years, yeah. right? How was that different? How does the NFL feel different from what you experienced at ASU? You know, it was nice. At first, I really didn't want to be in the Valley. I wanted to go somewhere else. I was like, I'm done. I did ASU. I wanted to go somewhere else. Um, but when they drafted me the ease of the transition was, was really a blessing. And I already was in the Valley. I had a lot of people here supporting me. My first start against the, the, was it Tennessee Oilers? I threw four picks and they cheered me every time I came on the field. I mean, that doesn't <laughs> happen in New York. I would have been benched the next day and yeah, stuff yeah. was been thrown at me. So it was, it made for an easier transition. Uh, you know, it, again, it was a chance like coming to ASU and trying to leave, uh, you know, an, an indelible mark on that program. Here's a team that had struggled and really done nothing for years. And here was my opportunity again to come in with the right type of guys around me, the right coaches, and try to flip this thing out and, and, and do something big with them. Try to take an organization that had been – you know, struggling to win and, and win some ball games. And uh, sure enough, that second year, second season, we had a, a, a magical season, a magical run to make it to the playoffs. And, um, you know, the NFL was different, though. It was definitely a lot longer. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, we still got five games left. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, my God. But I had fun. I was at, I had, uh, It was a dream as a kid to play in the NFL and to chase that Super Bowl. And here I was. I felt like I was so young, you know, Lomas Brown was like, I think a nine or 10 year vet. And I'm just like, felt like he was like my grandpa, you know, <laughs> like he had all the knowledge. And here I was just flying around, learning on the run, trying to lead this, this locker room full of these massive, amazing dudes. And, uh, they, they, they allowed me to do that, you know, whatever it was that I was doing, they, they liked it and they were able to get behind me and, and not just, not just me, but a lot of other great guys on that team that were great leaders. Yeah, I want to talk about one of those guys. I want to talk about your friendship with Pat Tillman, with whom you're teammates at ASU and with the Cardinals and for whom you read the eulogy, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, what was the basis of that friendship, would you say? How, how did that come together? Well, 
I can remember his recruiting trip back at ASU. I was a sophomore when he was getting recruited, and I just remember this dude's long hair, kind of underdressed, not wearing anything fancy, on a knee in the room, like just kind of looking at people and checking people out. And then when he signed and, of course, started playing and practicing with him, I realized, like, oh, here's a guy who's not going to wow you with his speed or, you know, be touted as a five-star this or blue chip this, but he can play. I just sensed it, you know, uh, an undersized guy, not supposed to be there. And I'm thinking back to me, like, well, oh, I was too small to play. I came in here at 172 yeah. pounds, you know, at ASU. And, but I could sling it, and I was a leader, and I loved to play. And my passion was what, what I put out there that the guys, uh, you know, they ate that up, somebody that really cared that was in that position. And so Pat was the same, cut from the same cloth. Same kind of you know competitor, uh, with a chip on a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Uh, Would tell you that they don't like the limelight, but they they do. You know, Pat loved it. Pat loved that attention, and uh, we we became good friends uh, in college. Obviously, great teammate. And then the the beauty of it was that you know he uh, got drafted by the Cardinals, yeah. and so I got to extend and play a few more years with him as a Cardinal, which was a lot of fun. And uh, I loved Pat. I mean, he he was challenged. He challenged you as any good any good friend would. Uh, he challenged you, you know, not just physically but mentally, and you know, just with the way he was. He was very much alive and living and not dull. And he challenged himself mm -hmm. every day. He wanted to be a better man and do things and had a plan and and not just talked about it but went and did it. So yeah. Uh, for years there, I was I was a voice for Pat, and I talked about Pat, and then I had to step back because I, I don't think I was living in a way that I would be able to go look at Pat and tell him, hey, this is what I'm doing, when he would see right through that and be like, are you really doing that, Jake? It doesn't look like it. You know, he would have called me out on a few times in my life. So, hmm. you know, Pat's still a motivating uh, part of my life, someone who is very inspirational, and it's really amazing to see what his legacy has become, uh, not just in, in our USA, but in the world. I mean, Pat's a historical figure that's known by uh, uh, so yeah. many people, and he was a dear friend. Aside from the obvious, how did how does his sacrifice, his death, impact you, Jake? You know, it really it really made me become more aware of of not not you know obviously I lost a good friend, teammate, yeah, but then the paper having pictures, you know, there'd be twelve pictures of of these people, these soldiers that. We we're no longer going to come home. And, you know, Pat was lauded and, and, and put onto this pedestal because he turned down all these millions of dollars and went to fight for our country. But what about the dad that left his family or the hmm. mother that left her job and left her children behind to go do the same thing? And I started really feeling those, those losses as like, damn, these are people that are just as big as Pat was to us in their own little worlds. And so it really gave me a really appreciation for the, the sacrifice made by our, our military. Um, I don't, I don't like war. I hate it. I can't stand that we have to fight all the time, but it's just part of this world we live in. And so to appreciate those people that sacrifice and to go, whether it's because they have no other option or because like Pat, they're motivated to go and do their part to feel you know, this beautiful life we're allowed to live here in America. Is it fair to say that that moment helped steer you on the path you are now? Like, 
I mean, it had it had something to do with it for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, it really made me take stock of what I was doing, like I'm, this game that I'm playing. And I'm just, you know, I liked it. I loved it. I had a great time doing it. But what's what's my real purpose here on earth? And and it, and it did. It took me a while. I mean, I'm still. I feel like I've fallen into something that is very worthwhile. Uh, when you can read emails from people that are thanking you for you know, helping their mother now be able to go to her dance class again or whatever that may be. And people are reaching out because they have lost faith in the system. They're looking for, for answers or anything that might help. And I think sometimes whether, you know, scientifically or medically, however we want to do the research on all of these, sometimes it comes down to just the belief, you know, the belief and the feeling that there's something out there. There's something that can help you. There's something that you can put your faith into that you can believe in. And, and, and it's such a powerful thing, our, our power of our thoughts and where your heart is. Mm. And so, you know, Pat's heart was always true. He called me before he left for his last deployment to check on me. I'd gone through a little life change and he was calling to check on me when it's like, God damn, Jake, you should have been calling him because he's getting ready to leave. But that's just the kind of guy he was. He really made me appreciate friends and try to be a better friend myself. Um, yeah, he's, I, 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 I'm, I miss him all the time. You know, I would love to see what he's up to right now. I mean, he could be the president of the United States if he <laughs> wanted to. I mean, Pat was ready to do anything he wanted, you know, and that, that yeah. really, what it shows me is like, yeah, we all can do whatever we feel like if we believe it. You just got to believe it. I want to finish with that. And this is about as esoteric and expansive a question as I could po possibly ask you. So apologies for that. But how do you encapsulate your worldview, uh, your view of human existence and probably the harmony and symphony of life? It's hard to, and I don't know if you could encapsulate it. It's more, uh, it's just like today, you know, like smiling at somebody and saying hi in the airport. Uh, being as human as you can be. We're all, you know, we call ourselves humankind, and I think it's time we try to be both, you know. Mm. Uh, Pat was a very kind person, whether he was challenging you and pissing you off because he wanted to argue about something. <laughs> but it, whether, whether, whatever it was, it was, it, we all treat each other, if we can treat each other nicer and just acknowledge sometimes people just need to be seen and, you know, you can change their world forever. And, so, yeah, I mean, as far as a worldview, what I have, uh, I'm going to do my best every day to be in the right spirit. And the days when I'm not, I have people around me that help, you know, call me out on that. But I do the work. I try to make sure that um, when I'm done on this planet that, you know, I'm able to have left a good, a good mark on, on a lot of people's lives. And I know that I already have done that. But that was through playing a silly, silly game. So now this is what I'm stepping into now and what I want to continue on is to just make sure that people understand that there there is a better way. And if you're stuck and you're hurting, um, we all go through those times. Uh, don't forget to call on the people that love you the most and, and hopefully they're there for you. Incredible stuff, Jake. I want to thank everyone for joining us on the first edition of The Focus. Uh, don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review. But more than that, I'm Craig Morgan, and, and I can't thank you enough, Jake. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us in studio for this incredible interview. No, thank you, Craig. It was a lot of fun. Did a great job, and uh, 
yeah, this Valley has been so good to me and it still is. Um, I still am shocked when I see my name on the stadium and, <laughs> uh, you know, I started as an 18 year old here and I'm still coming back here and, and people uh, are still open arms, welcoming, welcoming me back. So thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity. Great to see you, Jake. Thanks.